right. Welcome to episode 147 of the Canadian Purple Podcast, recorded January 30th, 2022. My name is Ian. I'm a student of preparedness and a hobby farmer on Vancouver Island. I'm Alan. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, overall safety nerd, and definitely not Ian. However, with a, voice mo- with a voice modulator, there's no proof, since there's no camera on, that you're not just me with a different mic. This is very interesting. Uh, I'm Scott, a first responder from Ontario. I like learning things, and I worry about our fragile infrastructure. And supply and chain. I'm Jeff. I'm and wood gas and fires. On- Sorry. I'm Jeff, based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, and general overall handyman. And uh, Ian is the safety nerd, just so everybody knows. If you want to help support the podcast, support the show, keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and super wicked cool tactical Velcro patch at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes to like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. We also want your feedback, good or bad. If there's just a topic you want us to cover, you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, since every show needs their own nerd, I just had to come up with a dad joke tonight. So tonight we have some red green tinge content for you this episode. Oof. So, yeah. <laughs> so specifically Canadian, it hurts. Yeah, well, like I said, if they don't find you handsome, they should at least find you handy. Uh, we're going to start off with some recent news, update our personal preps, and then we'll get into the main topic, which is doing it by yourself. Oof. Nothing. No. <laughs> <laughs> news. Family-friendly show yeah. right now. Yeah. News time. Um, a couple of articles I put in here, one being uh, from Ontario, we're starting the first step in the three-step reopening plan tomorrow. Uh, someone out there in the in the live feed can remind me: Is this the third three-step plan? The fourth, third, the fourth three-step plan? I, I've forgotten. I've kind of lost track. So hopefully that uh, um, hopefully this is the last time we go through this. But now that I've said that, I've just doomed us more on to the next uh, Groundhog Day version of uh, Ontario. I really tried to find some good news to put in the uh, put in the notes for this week, and I just couldn't find any. Uh, the other article I put in here uh, shows some record gas prices in Ontario this weekend because reasons, combination of supply chain, infrastructure, inflation, carbon taxes, all kinds of things. Um, so yeah. Good, good times for us. Hope everybody's uh, hope everybody's got lots of fuel in store. They can help offset the uh, offset the bad. That's all I got. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that with a three step plan there, if it's like Alberta, where they're going to double down and say we're never going to close things down ever, ever, ever again, and then they turn around and do it anyway. Two weeks to flatten the curve. Yeah. Well, what's your theory? Whatever the headline is, three weeks from now will be the opposite. Pretty much opposite headline theory works. Yep. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty accurate, yep. Record gas prices. Could it be because there was a bunch of truckers that came through and ate up all the diesel? I mean, the prices were already pretty high before then. So I think uh, I think maybe that's part of it. I think there's also a part where um, we're be- simply being punished for speaking out or speaking our minds. Yeah, it could be that too. Anyways, uh, my news, obviously, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard there was a convoy across the country. What? 
Yes, on. seriously, I'm, I'm deadly serious about this. That is that is brand new information. Depending on who you listen to, it could have either been a bunch of people, uh, you know, disgruntled with the vaccine mandates, not anti-vax, and uh, other people think they're just a bunch of you know white supremacists, which is really odd considering what you know the average ter- truck driver demographic consists of nowadays. But um, hey, you know, teach their own, I suppose. But yeah, nonetheless, it sounds like the high estimate was 2.5 million people in Ottawa protesting. And then, of course, CTV News or CBC, I think, said it was 2,000. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say, I heard on the news, they, they their quote line was a couple thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. A couple so, thousand, a couple hundred thousand. It's basically the same thing. Yeah. It's like you know, once you fill up Parliament Hill, right? Regardless of how you feel about the <laughs> politics of it, I think as preppers, we kind of recognize that it's a showing some signs of stress within society and supply chains and you know i i think only it's only supply chain problem because you're looking at it scott (laughs) it wouldn't be a problem all right so uh we'll rename this the ostrich show we'll just bury our heads in the sand and not have to worry about anything perfect Okay, so even, even, if it's, even if it was only 100 trucks off, off the road, like just assuming, like, let's assume the CBC is correct, there's only 100 trucks or so off the road, uh, and it's just a small disgruntled group of, you know, fringe minority people. Um, how many, you know, even 100 trucks offline in a, in a given area is pretty substantial when it comes to supply chain issues, right? So if you can imagine more trucks offline for a week or two, that's still a problem. But... Well- well, I believe I mentioned it, uh, not the last podcast I wasn't here, but the one before where uh, Schneider Trucking sold. They closed down their Canadian operations and are selling their property. They had uh, about 175 trucks that just, they said, yep, we're done. Goodbye. So even if, like you say, if they're even talking 100 more, add, add up all of those on top of it. And other truckers who've just said, I've had enough, you know, Two years ago, I was a hero, and now you want to call me a white supremacist and kick me to the curb and whatever. I'm, I'll find another job or, or retire or do whatever. So, yeah, there's uh, there's not a lot of winning that's going to come out of this, no matter what happens. Yeah, but I mean, so long story short, I mean, the aerial pictures alone, you know, paint a good picture. I mean, there's well over 100 kilometers long, and uh, saw some good aerial shots from guys in helicopters and everything else. You know, that basically took off when the convoy started. And they flew for about 15 minutes and still didn't get to the end of the line. So it was, yeah, obviously one for the record books. And pretty good to see that much uh, of a united front as far as, uh, you know, disgruntled about government overreach, I guess, more than anything else. So, yeah, good for them. I hope it all works out. I, and I hope uh, we see I genuinely good. hope that is the outcome. Yes. Yeah. And and I mean, the other, the other part of it more than just the convoy is if politicians were paying attention, and of course they don't, they don't care, um, almost every overpass from almost where it began to where it ended ha- was packed full of people flying flags and supporting them, even though they weren't part of the convoy and they weren't, I mean, there was probably hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who were on overpasses cheering them on. So, I mean, it's not, as Justin Trudeau said, a fringe minority. I think the fringe minority is his government, um, not not the amount of people that were involved in this. and. I mean, you can call it a coincidence or whatever that all of a sudden this whole big trucker thing is is coming out and there's a lot of, like I say, I think support for it. And all of a sudden, all kinds of different provinces, including Ontario, are like, well, okay, we're going to start reopening now because I think they're, they're seeing what was out there and they're going, this is not going to work out well for us in the long run if we don't start 
easing up a little bit. Well, it's interesting too because now uh, supporting your trucker convoy is, an, is actually a criminal offense in one of our provinces. I don't know if you guys saw that too, but mm-hmm. yeah. So Nova yep. Scotia now made it a criminal offense to cheer on, support, or even wave at the trucker convoys that went past, or, or donate to the cause. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Ooh, that's uh, that's spicy." Sort of yeah. criminal. I thought criminal was done at a federal level, if uh, as opposed to provincial stuff. Depends. Depends on what. Either way, it's it, no, no. They're all they're all criminal offenses, whether they're indictable versus uh, summary conviction. And this particular one is summary conviction, but they're all criminal offenses. Yeah, yeah. But I, so, I think I think I think good luck finding a judge who's actually going to convict on something like that. But I would I would demand a jury, my peers, in that case. Yeah, yeah. Nonetheless, weird times for sure. And like I said, here's uh, hoping to create some good changes, and there's no uh, no no bad ba- flashback or anything else on it. So yeah, I sincerely I sincerely hope it goes peacefully, and they get the result they're after. I really do. Yeah. Awesome. Maybe I'll have some news. Well, I just got one again. It's you know kind of on the whole preparedness thing. It didn't affect Canada that much as much as they thought, but uh, that nor'easter that just went through um, places in the uh, in the U.S especially like New York and uh, places like that, uh, Long Island and New Jersey, and that got over two feet of snow. Um, there were other places. Uh, it's the cleanest New Jersey's that, ever looked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Uh, Nantucket <laughs> got a bunch of flooding from um, the, um, the coastal the surge. Uh, there were more than 4,500 flights canceled uh, from... Basically, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, all in that that area, LaGuardia, and all those airports literally shut down. Um, they shut down part of the uh, transit system and everything else. So it's just, you know, as we talk about all the time, uh, be prepared, know what's coming, pay attention to the news and weather reports and that, and don't get yourself caught off guard. Yeah, actually, that's one thing I forgot to mention about the whole convoy thing too. Is if you are in Ottawa, remember we had that episode on riots. I think we it was we covered where you know if you get caught in a one, what to do and everything else. So yeah, I mean, keep in mind, make sure you have an escape plan if you're if you're gonna you know go down there and have a way to get out without the gridlock affecting you. I guess more than anything else. But uh, same same thing applies for this uh, snow too. I guess make sure you got a way to to move around still. So yes, um, insane snowfall lately. Uh, Remember when we were going to look back on 29, like January of 2020 and be like, wow, that was a crazy, that was a crazy month. Yeah. Remember that when it was like Australia on fire and Kobe Bryant died and that was the worst of it. (laughs) (laughs) Those were the days. Those were the days. Yeah. 2022 said here, hold my beer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bob Saget and John Heffernan in the same Two, in, in a two-week period. Everybody remember WKRP in Cincinnati? I know Ian's old enough for it. Howard Hessman, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. John, yeah. Dr. Johnny Fever died. Dr. Johnny Fever, Dr. Johnny yeah. Fever, yeah. Well, poor went out for the good doctor there and eat some turkey as a... Although Les Nessman was the star of that show, but... Oh, absolutely. Go. Hands down. Maybe Herb Tarlick's <laughs> wardrobe choices. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, my news article is talking about uh, Global Affairs Canada being hit by a cyber incident the same day the warning (laughs) was issued. Uh, Just 
kind of in some of our discussions talking about how fragile our, our internet based stuff is and sort of how cyber attacks are becoming more and more common. Uh, anyway, it, it, you know, last week's show got me thinking about that and, you know, this just kind of reinforced that. So it's kind of geared to what I did for preps. Any uh, word on the effects that on is... the, uh, the cyber attack, like uh, downstream effects? No, nothing specific. I think it's more um, just sort of being hit by denial of service and just making life difficult that I don't think any serious damage was done. I, I guess we'll see what, gonna, what actually comes they're going to admit to, at least. Well, well, exactly. I mean, if it means less government, should I not be happy about that? Uh, just... <laughs> but it's not less government. It's less Canadian uh, government yeah, than Russian true. government. Uh, and, true. I mean, maybe we're talking about picking the poo up by the clean end, but it's... Uh, um, I think I'd rather have the Canadian government than the Russian government telling me what to do. Fair enough. John brings up a very if those good, are my two choices. John brings up a very good point there. Anybody else worried about carbon monoxide with all those truckers sitting idle in Ottawa? No, I'm not. Simply because we have such stringent climate control laws and carbon taxes that will offset that. So and clean air, air to start with. Thirteen minutes and twenty seconds. There you go. <laughs> Sean says it all started with Harambe. That's many years ago now. That sweet prince got put. But down it that. really is. It's, that's if we could just go back and shoot the kid instead. I mean, oh shit, that was live, wasn't it? <laughs> that was live. <laughs> Let's just say, like, the you know, bad decisions have consequences, and poor Harambe paid the price. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways, what we doing lately for preps? Uh, so thinking about all the cyber stuff, I finally got around to downloading all of Wikipedia. Uh, Josh from the uh, Ham Radio Crash Course had talked about it for his Faraday box. Uh, so I looked into it, and it's a pretty big compressed file. But uh, I think it's sort of a, a useful thing to have. Uh, a whole lot more convenient than a set of encyclopedias. So and I so started what, like, that process. How, how, what, how? Tell me more. So the uh, through Wikipedia, there's a page on how to do it. People have taken the compressed file of all of the text of Wikipedia. They take out the commentary. They take out the revisions. Uh, any of the graphics are done separately so that all the text is considered a uh, shared commons, copyright-free accessible they someone has been kind enough to make a giant highly compressed file it's still like 19 and a half gigabytes uh, if i were to try and download it at my lovely internet connection here it'd be a little longer uh, so i went elsewhere with a little more speed to do it um, and then some people have made some custom open source software to be able to read in the compressed file so you don't have to uncompress it and you know, make the the twenty gig file eighty gigs or whatever, um, just to sort of make it a little more manageable. So I haven't quite tweaked the software yet, uh, but at least I've started the process. So we'll we'll get some smart people in here to uh, help coach me through the next couple of steps. It feels like something Eric could probably talk you through. Uh, in the uh, the chat there, Omar says uh, Wikipedia is open source, so unfortunately it's not 100% reliable. Agreed. Um, but it is also, you know, just sort of a 
general good reference that if we lost internet access, I think it'd still be nice to have. So, and if it's properly cited, then it does a lot of the filtering for you, which is also which is nice. Agreed. I think the only part was where it devolves into opinion. Like when they, you, know, you go to the Michael Hasselhoff page, and all of a sudden some guy says he was the worst actor ever, and then the next guy said he was the best music video ever, and is, it's all is, that, is he related to David Hasselhoff in any way? So what did I say, Michael? Oh, Michael Knight, David Hasselhoff. Oh, sorry, I just screwed that one up. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, no. Oh, no, hit the button. Oh, and that's our time on YouTube. Thanks Eric's time. not here. Oh, things things just go desi. You can't let me do anything. Like that. I'm moving on. Anyway. Drop the 80s references, Ian. Yeah. Jeff? So I didn't do a lot. I uh, Obviously, with uh, what you discussed with the – the rising fuel costs, I made sure that all my gas cans were topped up. I did a little bit of fuel rotation, made sure all the vehicles were full. And uh, outside of that, that's really all I did. Right on. Uh, well, as for myself, I think the guys on the Discord were watching uh, what was happening there. But I had some dead stock this week. I had a, a Cougar take out one of the alpacas, I guess, well, I guess two weeks ago now, but I missed last episode. Um, so, yeah, I had to take care of that uh, deal with the... Uh, surprise arrival of the conservation officer, which had never shown up before. RCMP showed up hoping to blast a cougar, which was kind of funny more than anything else. Uh, obviously, I had to take care of the animal. Um, kind of update my security plan regarding the livestock protection dog, who was having a lazy day that night, unfortunately. So I put a doggy door in, actually, to put uh, make him sure he's got a warm place to go in the cold weather and he could still protect the flock. So anyways, that's one little minor adjustment there. Um Got the antennas I ordered from Radio World, which was kind of cool. Uh, so now I was testing out the rooftop one in the office here. And it works okay in in, built, in the building, but it'll be fine, I think, once it gets in the roof. Uh, let's see here. I had to do repair on the ATV trailer. The hitch mechanism had failed on me, so I couldn't carry around feed bags or anything else. So I had to run down to the old Canadian mofo there and take care of that. Uh, unfortunately, work. Oh, yeah, not a Rubicon. Uh, the YouTube channel I'm starting to really, really enjoy. He did a UV5R jailbreak. So there's a very quick and easy way if you have the newer UV5Rs, you can actually uh, open them up beyond the Canadian what, Industry Canada uh, settings and access FRS programming and a bunch of other channels, So which is kind of cool. So I tried that out and it works, allegedly. Then I immediately put it back to the Industry Canada happy level you know, settings because I wouldn't want to go outside my bands. Um, on that note, I did some chirp programming because I got the new radio a few weeks ago from uh, AliExpress, the QT8900D, QIT8900D, anyway, uh, dual band. So I've been programming that one up, and it took a while to get the programming to work. Uh, did a feed run to play catch up on the chicken feed. Actually, I hadn't done the feed run since the great rainstorm there of uh, 2021, where we had uh, all the highways shut down. So I kind of decided to rotate my entire supply. So I kind of ran down the food for couple months there i guess and then decided to start topping it back up and same thing with the propane just did a propane refill to keep everything at the top levels and then uh that's that i think that's pretty much it but at least it was good to know that um you had enough you were prepared obviously and you had enough feed that you didn't need to go for those couple of months while everything was washed out and down there and i'm quite sure there were a lot of other people who weren't in that boat and had no way to get their feed Oh, yeah. I mean, I wasn't out. I was just down to about 50%. And if, of course, if things had gotten serious and it looks like the supply chain would have, you know, run even drier, I would have just called a bunch of the, um, I hate to say useless eaters because 
there's, there's other connotations there, but uh, the the hens that are spent, I, I probably would have taken care of them, turned them into dog food or something, and same thing with the excess roosters. But I just kind of kept the flock going because it looked like the supply chain was still coming in drips and drabs, so I wasn't too worried. But uh, no, it worked out well. Yeah, I, at least – so I, I figure I at least got a four or five months supply of chicken food at any given time if it's all topped up. So that's good. I, uh, I did nothing that interesting this week. My week was limited to um, a little bit of fuel rotation, as we as we kind of discussed. Keep it fresh. Um, did some boiler maintenance, which we'll talk about talk a little bit more about in detail in the main topic, and spend lots of my time working. Although I did get back to a jujitsu class this week, which was really nice. It's been a long month not being able to train. Perishable skill, isn't it, with jujitsu? Like well, also, that also and yeah, like it's your first night again. It's like, oh, I should yeah. know that. Well, July was like the first week of August was like class one, like class one point one, right? Mm -hmm. I, like I did a few months before, and then we shut down for a while, and then uh, then so I considered that my like my first my second first class um, went really really consistently for six months, and then my job changed and the world shut down again and eventually we said, you know what, we're just going to do this anyways. And um, yes, yeah, definitely a perishable skill, but mostly I noticed that it's a very different muscle, a set of muscles that I use for that than I do with any other training that I do. So that's, uh, that's my experience anyways. Awesome. Uh, anybody else? Scott. I think that was all four of us. Oh, he, that's that's right. He, he did. He just we started with him. That's right. See? Don't leave me in charge. Anyway. <laughs> no, uh, in charge. <laughs> well, hey, somebody had to write up the notes. Uh, skinny as they are, anyway. Main topic time. So I guess why are we talking about this tonight? Uh, well, let's just face it. I mean, we always talk about like uh, cost savings, less reliance, peace of mind as a reason for preparedness. And let's face it, call out charges with today's plumbers. Since Oof. there's a few of them around and nobody wants to do a host call. Uh, lack of supply, supply chain issues, everything else. Um, yeah, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg if you're relying on somebody else for some what should be some basic items. So we thought we'd talk tonight about some uh, some basic repairs, maybe some basic supplies to keep on hand. And uh, yeah, take it from there and maybe make yourself a little less reliant on the outside uh, expertise. So uh, first thing I wanted to talk about actually was just uh, changing in like an electrical outlet. So like if you pull it in and you burn out an electrical outlet, It'd be nice to know how to change those out and keep spares on hand. So, like, you go to Home Depot and keep your uh, your ten pack of electrical plugs on, and so you don't burn down the house and call Alan over. Um, yeah, you're gonna need a few basic electrical tools. So, first and foremost, legal disclaimer, right? Make sure that you understand the electrical codes in your area. For example, in Ontario, it is illegal for you if you don't have an ECRA, an Electrical Contractor Registration Authority number. You don't have an ECRA number. It's illegal for you to work on any electrical services not yours. So I couldn't go to Jeff's house and help him with his electrical work because I'm not a licensed electrician with that, um, with that number. What you actually do with that is entirely up to you, but you should probably know what you're getting yourself into. Also, electricity will kill you and it will hurt the whole time you are dying. Please be careful with it. <laughs> Well, I can't imagine it's gonna tickle anyway. It does. Like the one ten tickle is fine. It's when you get into the it's when you get into the two twenty and up, um, and any length of time that you're in contact with it, it really starts to get uh, really starts to get painful. Um, yeah, 
I mean, I've done plenty of electrical work. I just just about finished uh, um, wiring my garage. It's uh, it's already it's already to go. It's already past the. I have an electrician friend of mine who came over and gave it an inspection and said, like this will pass. He gave me a couple of little pointers about how to how to tidy up the wiring to make it look more professional. But he said none of these things would be code violations. So. Um, well, if I remember correctly, the Home Depot in Ontario is they would sell the simplified electrical code just to make sure you stay within the within the boundaries of what's what's cool and yep. what's not. Yeah, and you can also you can also find that on the government's website for free. Oh, well, there you go. Because I think uh, yep. Home Depot charged about twenty bucks for it or whatever. But yeah, it was nice to have the paper copy when I was there. Um, yeah, I've, I've got I've got one of the well, I've got several books that I picked up at Home Depot. Just basic electrical, basic plumbing, basic that that kind of stuff, and it kind of walks you through how to. How to do like you you say your 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 small basic electrical repairs and stuff mm -hmm. like that without uh, having to call somebody in and pay absorbent fees and wait days or weeks depending on as you say the staffing shortage of staffing and supply chains and all that stuff and so. Well, I can't even imagine like right now some of these guys aren't going to want to do host calls. Some of these guys either are overwhelmed, maybe they can't get what the parts they want or whatever too. So. Again, you know, if you see it, grab it type of thing. I think we should have enough electrical tape to choke a donkey, but for reasons. It also makes, uh, electrical tape also makes an excellent first aid item. Just don't put it directly on your skin, like directly on, the, on an open wound. Is that just because it, uh, it sticks to itself really well? Well, it's yeah, it's waterproof, so it excludes it excludes moisture on the outside. Uh, it's incredibly sticky, which is great. Um, but it also has some pretty nasty chemicals that will leach into your, like leach into an open wound really badly. So just make sure you've got a barrier between the opening, the open wound, and that. But I couldn't begin to count the number of times I've seen you know people on a job site slice their finger, wrap it with a little bit of, uh, put a little paper towel on it, wrap it in electrical tape, and go back to work. Um, if you had one type of tape. That's probably a good one to have, but don't it's have also, just one type of tape. Also good for uh, waterproofing the uh, antenna connections outside too. Absolutely. You just start from the bottom, work your way up. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so on that note, whether it be a light fixture, electrical outlet or whatever, I mean, obviously uh, do a quick little read, maybe a couple of YouTube videos on uh, which wires are the dangerous ones and which ones are the less dangerous ones that you can maybe put to your tongue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. uh, get yourself, yeah, electrical tape, spare switches, a wire cutter and stripper, maybe a voltmeter. You can never have doing. too many. You can never have too many uh, morets. No matter how many you think you need, the answer is always more. Hmm. And actually, I forgot to bring those out. Uh, those the simplified morets they got. Those are the, that actually like uh, come up with and put a tension on the wire, and they're like AliExpress specials, but yep. they're actually really handy. Um, more like a click moret more than anything else. They're they're pretty good. Um, and then yep. Yeah, so I mean, the voltmeter is also handy in ham radio, but uh, and then pliers. I mean, uh, pliers for twisting wires together, pliers for like yep. anything, right? Um, yeah, you definitely need a good set of lineman pliers if you're going to do any kind of electrical work. Um, Neil knows because it's especially if you're fishing wire, they, that'll get you into places that you wouldn't otherwise get. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah, basic to basic tools. Yeah. Might even if you make sure it. make sure you know and before the emergency if you go if you take the time go around like shut off one breaker at a time in your house and go and label either on the front of each like either on the front of each outlet or switch or on the back if you don't if you want it to look nicer um, label what circuit is controlled like at your panel is controlled by where it is controls that thing that you might want to look at. 
because um, that will uh, that will save you a lot of headache in a in an urgent situation. I'm you know I'm, I'm the kind of nerd that I go around with my I went around with my label maker and, and actually labeled all the circuits on the front so I can so I know. Um, but if you wanted it to be a little more decorative, you could just write it in marker on the inside of the of the, of the outlet cover, the switch cover. Some people change out their uh, regular switches for decor. Wants to try and sell the house for more money, make it a little spicier, uh, saucier looking type of thing too. Mm -hmm. um, Steve's yeah, uh, shop points out that you have to clean your cut with solvent and then put on the electrical tape in that order. If you can, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. I, 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 uh, yeah, I let's just leave that alone. <laughs> Take a, take a take a big take a big hit of exhaust from a bong while you're at it, I guess. <laughs> well, you know you have to use what's on hand. I guess on the construction site, right? Yeah, just get some of that Varsol in there and stick care of business. Yeah, Pat points out that not all electric tape is created equal. I think you touched on that too. I mean, um, yeah, buy the good, the good stuff is not much more expensive than the cheap stuff. Buy the good stuff. Yeah. See here. Um, I had an interesting experience doing a little bit of electrical. I went to a big box store uh, trying to find a couple of parts and they were really hesitant to give any advice just for fear of, of going into the area that electricians would go into. Um, you know, and it sort of took a lot of convincing that I'm like, no, I just, show me which part meets these specs that <laughs> I need to get. And eventually we sort of managed to find what I was looking for, but it just kind of goes to show you that, yeah, even the big box stores are afraid of liability. Well, they're well, also not electricians by and large. Like I worked, I worked at a big box store and we happened to have one electrician um, who worked for us in, in our, in the electrical department simply because um, he'd been injured on the job and, three-fingered electricians didn't uh didn't make a lot of money so um he was really good at it because he could in fact speak to it in a in an intelligent manner but um the average person and it's not an, it's not a slight against people who work in big box stores home depot lowe's um there's but there's just so much to know in those buildings much beyond where is this thing like what aisle can i find it in the it's not reasonable to expect them to be electrical experts and plumbing experts and lumber experts and hardware experts and paint experts all in the same, all in the same person. Unless you're somebody like me who happens to know a lot about a lot of those things, but very few people actually have that experience and knowledge to be able to give you the advice say like smartly. And let's, and let's be honest, if they've got that abundant knowledge, they're not going to be working at a big box store for minimum wage. That's also true. More than likely. Um, yeah, it's pretty much covered off electrical. I think, I mean, like there's obviously you can go way down the rabbit hole, but yeah, it never hurts to just learn to do some basic stuff at the very least, just to, you know, keep everything operating the way it should. Uh, when you go down the rabbit hole with electrical, I guess you can start talking about generator usage and wiring for that. But I mean, we don't want to talk about that in a quarter of an episode either. So. And uh, as, as much as I, as much as I joked earlier about one, about the one tentacle, um, it will still kill you. Uh, yep, that's me. Makes a really good point. Like, it doesn't take 600 volts to kill you, or even 347. Right? This stuff is all electricity is dangerous. Um, 
you treat it like a gun. It's always loaded. It's always ready to kill you until proven otherwise. Um, shut it down and make sure that it verifies that the circuit is dead before you do any work on it. Even uh, the old style landline phone lines had what ten volts running through it or something, and uh, yep. I felt that once. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, what's that? Oh, oh, oh!" That's, that's, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, that's enough. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I was like, just enough of a reminder. Like, oh yeah, I should probably just chill out with you know, even low voltage wires are still voltage. So, yep. Anyway, uh, plumbing. Here we go. Bane of um, my existence. If I, could, if I never had to do plumbing again, that's the one thing I'm always willing to hire out. Well, the funny thing is, so I have a secondary residence there over in Vancouver with a couple of guys just uh, for work purposes there. And well, I'd say tell the wife anyway. But uh, anyway, so <laughs> for like basic stuff, like so we're renters over there and unplugging a toilet and sink and stuff. I mean, these guys are like, you know, gall going over to phone the landlord, but I don't want to wait six, seven hours without a working toilet. So it's amazing how many people can unplug a toilet which is shocking and terrifying at the same time. Uh, we had it both clogged and frozen this winter, uh, thanks to that little cold snap we had. So, yeah, maybe you start thinking ahead of what uh, your perils are if you're living at the bottom floor and all your piping is exposed on the West Coast and you have a cold snap, maybe you should think about how you're going to unfreeze that, that, uh, that toilet, right? So, uh, some basic skills for plugging a toilet, or unplugging a toilet, you know, plunger, heaven forbid. Um, if you do have like PEX pipe in your house, maybe having a PEX crimper and some PEX bits mm -hmm. to uh, do pipe repair or just adding pipes, right? And one, know where your shutoff is. Yep, know where yep. your water shutoff is. And another uh, solid piece of advice, and people will laugh at this, but there are people out there that will do it. Don't unclog your frozen pipes with a torch. <laughs> or a welding kit if you have copper pipes. Don't put it at one end and the other end and hope it's just, you know, the electrical connection. Yeah, yep. no. No. yeah. No. Yep. I, I know I know people that do it. It's just like you know. You want to you want to you want a gradual heat trace, and I again I, in a perfect world you're going to prevent the problem rather than reacting to it. But um, a gradual heat trace, your hair dryer is more than enough. You just it just takes a little bit more time, and then start at the discharge end of the fro of the freeze, not the not the house end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Even for uh, earthquakes with the water shut off, uh, uh, one, one, one of the listeners there mentioned that uh, Denny. Uh, says here that uh, how many people know where the shutoffs are for the water. So yeah, whether it be earthquakes or actual repair work or frozen stuff, yeah, just knowing where the water shutoff is pretty cool. Yep. Um, and keep a wrench next to it. That's, yeah, that's the next one. Like it, requ it usually requires a tool. Have that yeah. tool. An actual pipe wrench or like channel lock pliers. I mean, go to the the restore and get those used for like couple blocks. I mean, there's just so much, and not even many people even want to have a pipe wrench around because they're kind of heavy and awkward and everything else, but. They, they make, they make a great improvise, improvised self-defense tool. Just throwing that out there. Allegedly. And yeah, he's right of, of knowing where the shutoff is. My uh, A few years ago, my parents moved into a condo and uh, they moved in in the, in the summer and came the fall. They, they've got a, a tap that goes out into the garage and it's not heated. So I'm like, okay, I'll just turn the water off. Well, when they decided to drywall and paint the basement, they just drywalled right over where the tap was. So we had to, I had to go and find where the tap was and cut a hole through the drywall in the in the ceiling and get in there to be able to turn the the water off. There I had the exact opposite problem. I, I, a house I used to own, we uh, I went down to the basement one time and noticed a big. You know, the, the drywall was sagging and there was a big puddle in, above it. And when I pulled that down and exposed it, it was um, 
there'd been a reno done and instead of capping it what the plumber done was crimp the end of the pipe so he soldered a t in and he crimped the end of the pipe and just soldered across it like he pinched it and, and welded it shut um and over time the the consistent water pressure eventually worked a hole through it and dripped enough that it caused this problem and um then i had a, a whole different problem to deal with instead of just doing the job right don't drywall over your pipes please well make your, drywall make your life work alone. if you can do yeah. drywall work you're probably just the god in your near your circle of friends absolutely do that job nope. <laughs> and having to pay somebody to do that job is it's you're gonna pay through the nose because it's it's horrible work right um, especially taping yeah money and taping that's a skill yep yeah uh, just in terms of plumbing, I'm going to add a couple of thoughts. Um, having a cut tool and some of the simple shark bite connectors, uh, including the end caps. If you have a problem, you can sort of put an end cap on and still have water in your house, having isolated the problem, uh, mm -hmm. just to give yourself options so that it isn't a holiday weekend plumber call out if it's something beyond your capability. Um, and there's also don't ever break the Home Depot rule. <laughs> Only work when you can, you have enough time to go to the store and get the parts you need if something goes wrong. Yep. And preferably I'll have to go there once. Uh, Pierre mentions you can get pipe DTARs rented, uh, hook on the pipe and then plug it in and gradually warms up the pipes. Or you can just get heat tape ahead of time and wrap it around there and keep it, keep it plugged in. I mean, if it's mm -hmm. a positive problem or whatever too. Um, if, yeah, because, if it's a high risk. Yeah, for sure. And so another thing, uh, it's actually orange Home Depot colored. It's uh, $3 at Home Depot. I think a you get it at the dollar store as well, but they don't actually work quite as well. But these like uh, ripcord style, uh, I guess, plungers for sinks and tubs. Uh, if you have, I'd, I guess you have a, a, a blocked tub or a blocked sink, rather than calling a plumber and asking, what do I do? And you know, ripping open the P-trap, you can actually... Uh, Stick this in all the way down, then give it a quick rip out, kind of like Eric does with the Zano beads, and then you can, uh, you know, clean up your sink right away. Oh, you knew I had to throw it at some point, right? We had to at some point, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If you've got if you've got people in your house with a lot of hair, those are those are a godsend. Well, yeah, having two daughters and the wife around, it's like it's almost a guarantee that certainly that sink's going to get clogged up. So you want to make sure that you can. Uh, you know, rescue the situation right off the bat to continue their usage of it. So, I mean, rather than waiting for somebody else to come solve your problem, just spend the $3 and get it done, right? Mm hmm And that's the quick way to do it, right? You can take apart the P-trap as long as you can get at it. You can take apart the P-trap and drain it out and pull out all the gunk and then throw that stuff away, but that's a much faster way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see here. Last thing I want to mention was, uh, I guess, construction. So yeah, basic, just general uh, basic, tools to have on hand. Yeah, basic construction stuff to have uh, on hand. So whether it be like, uh, say, the zombies apocalypse has happened and people are trying to tear down your door, uh, burglars have come and broken your window. I mean, just basic stuff like that. Like you want to have the tools available to overcome maybe preparedness or bad weather-related stuff, broken windows being the key. Like if you have a, a spare bit of plastic and some duct tape handy just to you know seal off a window, especially if it's cold weather out. Um, shoot a, a part shoot of plywood and a cordless uh, cordless um, skill saw to cover it over on the outside, and then plastic on, to seal it on the inside, and you've got yourself a, an air barrier and a an, a future impact barrier. Yeah, so I mean, for the future or for the sake of just a few few bucks, I mean, measuring tape, cordless drill, maybe is a little pricier, but again, multiple uses for that tool. Just having some screws and a basic saw around, like you mentioned, a cordless one would be ideal, just to uh, 
can do some small scale work. Yeah, you can cover up a window that's broken, cover up a door that's been been kicked in, whatever. Um, it can't hurt to have that basic construction stuff around. And you can you can take a deep dive even into measuring tapes. I mean, I have probably four different kinds of measuring tape that I have in my in my toolkit. Right, I've got your standard um, standard inch inch and metric metric only. I also have one that's kind of fun where it's a it's a self centering tape. So every quarter inch, it tells me what the half measure is of that tape. So if I'm finding the center of things, which I used to do a lot in, in my in my trade, um, so I can, you know, you measure something, it'll tell you what the center is, and then you can go back to that, go back to that center point. Um, and then for longer ones, you've got, you know, you've got the tapes and stuff as well, like the, the, like the reels, so, or wheels if you're measuring out. So there's, there's all kinds of options for that, depending on, depending on the things that you're doing. But make sure, uh, yeah, good measuring tape is worth its weight in gold. Uh, Dan just mentions back on the plumbing thing, don't forget if a torch, uh, soldering, or maybe electrical, soldering flex and solder, as well as extra ends and tube in case of a burst pipe. Um, soldering is actually like a, one of those skills where it's like... Thing past. What's that? Any, any, house, any house built now, they're all being built with PEX. Anything built in the last five years? Well, yeah, some of them are even worse. Some of them are poly, which is even worse. But uh, yeah, copper pipe's still around, but it's actually a bit of a, of a skill set to solder things properly and not have leaks. So uh, some of the, if you're going to get some of those, uh, I guess, uh, disposable copper bits that actually pre-soldered are all the way around, all you got to do is heat them up and they kind of solder themselves mm -hmm. off. I'd probably be more leaning towards those for the average Joe than trying to bring like uh, some extra like you know line solder and trying to get that in there just perfectly and get you know capillary effect happening and everything else. Or um, or shark bites, which are shark bites. The like, shark yeah. bites, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of those because you know Impression keep it settings. simple, stupid, yep. right? Like, and I'm, I've only got like a skill set down here, so I need all the help I can get. So. Yep. Well, the nice thing about the shark bites is you can throw the end cap on as an emergency stopgap. Yeah. And when you have the parts you need or someone who knows what they're doing, you can take that. There's a little tool you can take it off as opposed to having to desolder something to take it off. So Yeah, mm -hmm. just the same thing with the PEX stuff because that's what we have in the house here. We ship well, poly and PEX. But um, I have actually like just like the end pieces where I can just, you know, PEX on an end and then later on I'll just cut it off and, and carry on once I have the parts. But yeah, because that's, that's huge if you get uh, a burst or anything else. Um, going back to the construction stuff, I'm glad we have screwdrivers. We should probably have a multi-pack of screws <laughs> so we have something we could you know, put the plywood on the window with. Um, okay. I'm, a big fan, I'm a big fan of the multi-pack you buy where there's you know 10 different sizes and lengths and whatnot um, so that when you have that one-off job and you just need to find a certain certain length or a certain diameter screw, you have the options. Oh, I, I the best the best advice I got for this was when I bought my first house and and uh, my my grandfather told me he said actually what he did was he, he bought these for me he got me um, a box of short drywall screws a box of long drywall screws a box of short deck screws and a box of long deck screws and he said you use the deck screws outside you use the drywall screws inside and it doesn't really matter what you're doing with them those will solve your problem Hey, you took the words right out of my mouth there. I, I actually went the opposite direction of that, Scott. I uh, literally, I'll take out, you know, Phillips and slot screws and everything else, and I always put back in the Robertson. And I know those drywall screws are Phillips, but uh, pretty much everything's either inch and a half or two and a half inch deck screws pretty much everywhere around the property. So it's always a Robertson so bit. For our and American listeners, the Robertson bit is what you call a square bit, and it is the yeah. far superior driver. 
in Oof. all circumstances. Hands and down. if you think it's Phillips, you're wrong. Yeah. It's the square drive, which is what we call the Robertson, and it is the right drive. It's the right driver to use. Yeah. And so, like, literally everywhere in my house, including door jams and everything else, all Robertson all the time. So I don't have to sit there and fumble for bits. I just know what's going to work. And that's what stays on my cordless screwdriver and everything else. Just uh, standardization for me. It's like, like I said, it's low skill set. I got to deal with it, right? Uh, pipe hangers. Are there, are there things to keep uh, on hand? Yep. Yeah. That's one of those, those stainless steel things with all the holes in it. Yep. Yeah, oh, so it's yeah, it's good for like you know whether you're like just uh, trying to hang a uh, poly pipe in the in the rafters or like you know suspend guns in in rafters. Oh, uh, sorry, I mean, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever you want to use it for. I mean, like you no, know, it's just one of those things that they're very handy. Actually, I use it to even tie down sometimes. Like uh, my generator trailer is really lopsided, and so if it's just sitting there on its own, it'll if I don't want it to sit in the mud because of the rain here, I'll actually use that steel stuff to actually like nail it to a log and just so it stays off the ground a bit. So, yeah, it's good good stuff to have around. Um, yeah, keep duct tape on hand. Once again, there are there's actual duct tape like the uh, um, the foil tape, which is great. There is you know cheap duct tape which usually isn't worth much there's the good duct tape which is usually the gorilla style um takes a little bit more effort to get it to rip but it will uh actually actually held a boot together with it once for a 10k hike it did a pretty good job yeah there's uh it's good thing to have uh, two pack of duct tape at costco was really cheap last week it was like down to seven bucks for two two giant rolls which was pretty good I've I've never been in a situation where I thought to myself, man, I wish I didn't have twenty feet of duct tape on hand. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, the miscellaneous tools, uh, duct tape. You mentioned Exacto knife. Uh, can't get down for those, even nope. for the dollar store. I think Exacto knives you can kind of cheap out on a bit, and they're still fine. Yep. Um, same thing with the only thing I like. The only thing I like about having again, it's one of those things I like to standardize so that I all my Exacto knives take the same type of blades. And I like the Ulfa LB blades. It's not that I'm specific to that brand, but that style where they kind of snap off. So if all my knives take that take that type of blade, then I can go get the the bulk pack of blades. I think a hundred pack is about forty bucks, or was the last time I bought it, and that that'll last the average the average homeowner their lifetime. Yeah, I take that back. Actually, I, I don't think you should cheap on those. You should get the universal size blades because nothing pisses me off more than just like plumbing when everything is like non-standard and nothing fits nothing usually, and you have to get specialized parts all the time. But yeah, exactly. Right. There's HBLB, HBB, and all these other stupid blades. And yep. yeah, Few same blades sizes, yeah. save a lot of grief. Yeah, get the get the same yeah, well, get the same size knife, the same size blades, and I mean again, it's one of those tools you can't have enough of. Um, but if every time you can't find it and you go buy another one, you buy the same style, then your bulk pack of blades will last you forever. Yeah, and, and Pierre made a made a comment in there, and that's what I do around my place. If I'm replacing something, moving something, he says, um, always have spare bits and try to use just one type of uh, the screw head for all your screws so that no matter mm -hmm. what, you're, you're not, like I say, you're not running around. Is this a number one or a number two, Robertson? Is this a... Phillips is it a, a, a straight one? I agree. The um, just replace them all. The Robertson, whatever, the Robertsons are the way to go, and and I always try to use the same the same size all the time. Yep. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely correct. It's uh, as much as you can standardize. Like uh, <laughs> we were we were doing the like the interior fit up of a Lowe's, and we like the, the store was basically stocked, and we were doing the last little bit, and all the all the the factory fasteners had come up from the U.S., so everything was Phillips head. Uh, any any broken screws, were like hey, can we replace this? And we had all like you couldn't get Phillips drive screwdrivers in our store. Everything everything was Robertson. Like yeah, oh, we got to we got to get to match so it all looks the same. So we ended up replacing almost every fastener in the building with store fasteners that were all Robertson. And all like our American installers were like, wow, these are so much better. Like again for our american friends like you can put out you can put a robertson screw on a on a, a reasonably new bit and turn it upside down and it won't fall off without being magnetized it's they're they're fantastic it's the best and if you're disagree i will fight you <laughs> and they're at least to stay on the bit while you're trying to screw it in with yeah with exactly one hand only right so on the topic of plumbing and how much i hate it uh i got a story for you um 10 o'clock on a friday night it may or may not have been this past Friday night. <laughs> I heard a gurgle sound coming from my boiler. Went down and discovered there was a large puddle underneath uh, underneath the boiler, and the pressure gauge was kind of bouncing and, and rather quickly reducing down to zero. Um, that is when I discovered a rather large gap in my skills because I know pretty much I know how to bleed the rads, and I know how to relate the pilot on my boiler. That's about it. I couldn't have told you... If you put a gun to my head, I couldn't have told you what the pressure on that gauge was supposed to read or what it signified. Um, so, okay, it's going to be expensive. It's 10 o'clock on a Friday night. It's minus 30 outside. It's gonna be, this is going to be an expensive repair. Um, I got one person to quote me that they would come out at a cost of $281 to show up and then $280 an hour to diagnose and repair this afterwards. Well... That's still going to be cheaper than my house freezing. So, here's what I have. I have a you know my 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 oldest inspection sticker that I can see says 1987. Here's what I you know here's what I've what I've discovered is wrong, and they says yeah I uh, I probably can't fix that. I could not actually convince somebody to come out and service this. I called thirty different contractors that all said that they service plumbing. Um, they serve as boilers. They're plumbers, HVAC people, whatever. Could not convince anybody to come out on Friday night and fix that. Um, eventually, somebody said, just try restarting it and see if the downtime allowed the system to reset. Um, talked to one person. They said, yep, uh, well, we can get a tech out tomorrow morning. So that was Saturday morning. He came out about 8.30. He was super nice and said, yep, you, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bad valve. Um, so basically the automatic fill valve that regulates the pressure wasn't working. So I was just getting constant pressure, like constant water added to the system, which is why it was overflowing. Um, so now until he can come back on Monday with the parts to fix it, I have to go down every couple of hours and check the pressure. He told me where it should be, and I have to check the pressure on the gauge and open the valve to ref like literally just open the city valve, city water inlet to refill the boiler, um, get the pressure back up, and then close it again manually because I had a part fail. I have not only no idea where that valve is that it has failed, I have no idea. I could, couldn't possibly begin to know where to fix it. So um, that was... 
that was my my challenge. I, I couldn't even get somebody to come out and look at it. $280. I mean, you hope you get a happy ending with that or something like, geez, that's ridiculous. Yeah, no kidding, right? I, you know, if I could have gotten somebody to come out, it was probably going to cost me 500 bucks just to have them show up essentially and tell me what was wrong, not even do anything to fix it. So, um, yeah, so that's uh, that's the thing that, that can happen to you, right? So be prepared. This is why good maintenance comes in, comes into play. Um, funny enough, I'd call, I had just earlier that day um, sent a uh, sent a message to the plumber that I've used previously because he was he had ordered me a part uh, that was back in December he'd ordered me a part and um, didn't hear anything from him so I'd send a follow up email and then lo and behold later that afternoon or later that evening things went uh, things went badly for me so um, maintain your maintain your equipment and learn what you can about it. That's a good point. Uh, yep, that yep, that's me. Says sawzalls. They make good 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 meat processing with the correct blades, or cutting sewer pipe to certain lengths for reasons or whatever. Like I mean, a drywall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they will also get you into most doors if you try hard enough. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. Uh, Denny, same as me, uh, standard number two bits for Robertson, but here it's uh, Phillips, and uh, anything I'm working on now, it's been going to Roberts. Yeah, like I use number two Roberts all the time for all my deck screws, basically. Yep. Yeah. And even just the standard zinc plated screws, if you buy them at a Canadian re like Canadian retailer, you're going to get them in Robertson. So. And anything, uh, anything up to a number 12 is going to be a number two, and then once you get number 12 and bigger, it's going to be number three, but most houses don't have a lot of number 12 or 14 yeah. uh, fasteners in them. Yep, not at all. Um, Scott had some good stuff here. Be still with us. No, no, I'm here. All right, good. Um, I love the Haynes manuals for vehicles. Uh, buy them at Canadian Tire and hard copy on newsprint, <laughs> and it tells you all sorts of details about your car, and just if it's something simple as changing the tire, it tells you what torque the nuts are supposed to be at. Um, I would very much prefer to have a professional look after most things, but if that's not an option, at least I have a useful reference for uh, sort of knowing what I need to find. I love manuals that have the blow-up diagrams where you can sort of see all the individual parts and be able to to narrow down what you need to replace. Um, so I, I think that's 20 or 30 bucks well invested in any vehicle you have. So, Well, on the Haynes manuals topic too, I just learned a valuable lesson with my quad too is uh, fuses. Like, uh, of course, there's what, three or four different types of fuses. There's like the standard, the mini, and the, the, the micro and all of this stuff. Um, burned through a bunch of fuses on the quad because I got it stuck in a while. I left it in the rain for about half a day there and of course of course the uh starter edition module got wet and burned a bunch of stuff out so rather than spending 10 bucks on five fuses it turns out if you actually order it well in advance you can go on aliexpress and get 10 fuses for 82 cents so there's there's cost savings to be had there and it's the exact same fuses and uh, there are you can buy sort of the nice card with blister pack of all different sizes of fuses sort of different sizes different ratings uh so that Whatever it is you realize you need, you hopefully have one. Uh, you know, they're a couple of bucks, and I, I think it's totally worth having that uh, available. 
Yeah, it's, so that's why I, I ended up getting the mixed fuse one. It was ten bucks, and now like I said, eighty two cents on AliExpress. So I ordered a few of those. <laughs> They're on the way now because <laughs> I mean, wow, what a difference in price. Um, another skill: uh, sweeping your own chimney. Um, it's not a hard thing to do. Uh, my previous house, the uh, the owners had left it uh, left a chimney sweep kit there out in the garage and. I sort of did a little bit of investigating, a bit of YouTubing, sort of how to go about doing it. Um, you know, we still did a proper wet inspection when we bought the place, but just having the ability to do that, we just took off the section of pipe between the stove uh, and up to the ceiling, put a clear garbage bag around it with a little slot in it so that you could pass the uh, the new lengths of uh, of rod up and sort of sle- swept going upwards and uh, worked quite well. Um, I'm happy to have a professional come in, but again, if you know if it's a situation where you can't get someone for some reason, I think it's a good skill to have. Yeah, I think we had this on the show about probably a year ago now, but yeah, I, I switched over to doing it myself now. At first year, 100% payback and then some. So I think it spent 70 bucks on equipment and it's a minimum $200 show up fee for the, uh, the the chimney sweep so start doing it yourself it's instant cost savings right off the bat and again you don't have to worry about it like our chimney sweep lady the reason that i kind of got the impetus to do it is because she left and went off island and nobody else really wants to do it unless they charge you through the arm and leg so yeah it's worth it for sure yeah I, i've been doing my own for several years and I've, I've never had a problem i usually do it you know obviously every spring as soon as the season's over I do it again in the fall, even though I did it in the spring before I start. And because I consistently burn what I usually, I usually do it between every four to six weeks. I'll, you know, I'll be away or something will happen and it'll, it'll get cold and I'll just, I'll just give it a good uh, quick sweep and everything's been fine. And it does save a lot of money. And no chimney fires that way. Absolutely. (laughs) Another plus. Um, I had an experience this summer, uh, much like Alan's, where for some of you, <laughs> uh, I had a problem with my septic system and couldn't get anyone to come out and deal with it. And that's something that I would very happily pay someone else to deal with, uh, but no one was available, so I had to deal with the problem. Um, you know, talked to a couple of people who were very knowledgeable and wanted to come out and help but were unavailable so uh they gave well, me a couple just unavailable of pointers. because it's a shitty job that's why oh you beat me to it oh i was waiting <laughs> for the break <laughs> anyway the moral of the story is i ended up doing it myself uh you know it turned out just fine but sort of having that skill set having that ability to dive in and uh diagnose problem figure out what parts you need where they need to go in um, for septic, for plumbing, for electrical, for cars, for chimneys, whatever. I, I think having that problem solving ability is quite important. Uh, forever ago, I was a pool boy and sort of came to understand that, you know, the, the experts, yeah, you have fancy tools and maybe you do things a little faster, but you know, it's, it's not miraculous. You know, the Robertson screwdriver in the hand of an expert is the same number two Robertson screwdriver that we're all singing the praises of here. Um, so, you know, a little understanding, a little bit of sit back and watch YouTube, read, you know, the Home Depot books, the Time Life books that 
have all of those step-by-step simple here you go um you can accomplish quite a bit if you're you're willing to take on the challenge okay just to clarify there's no diving in with septic repair though right um you know if you dive in and it's ankle deep uh that's that's one thing you shouldn't go head first and find out it's ankle deep that's not good either no, that's actually good. Actually, that was one of my first jobs was working on the back of a septic truck. And it is one of those things where if you do not know how to do basic fixes and or maintenance, it's going to be very expensive. It's, uh, it's a very simple system, though. Because that's a good thing. Yeah, there are certain jobs that people get paid very well to do because not a lot of people want to do them. There, yeah. There's a reason that's a high-paying job. Well, we have anything else to talk about? I just, I just kind of, you know, feel that self-sufficiency is a great thing. Um, it doesn't make you reliant on somebody else, uh, especially as in Alan's case. You know, it's it's something that he needs to heat his house. It's minus thirty outside, and nobody's willing to come. Um, you know, basically. If something's going to happen, that's when it's going to happen. It's going to happen at the worst time. Never happens at uh, two o'clock in the afternoon when it's minus three. It happens at two in the morning when it's minus thirty. Um, just some, you know. I, I say to everybody, just have a basic tool set, uh, a, a set of screwdrivers, wrenches. Uh, somebody mentioned a sawzall. I said a handsaw, and of course the uh, the old universal duct tape. Um, from things that I've noticed and, and helping people out with things and that is um, a lot of the issues happen from a lack of proper preventative maintenance. And if you can do your own preventative maintenance, uh, it's going to go a long ways to lowering your risk of that um, thing going wrong when you least expect it or uh, at the most unopportune time. So um, take a little bit of time. Study, study some stuff. There's lots of stuff online and that you can get and, and, you know, take a stab at doing your own preventative maintenance. You know, I'm not saying do a, a big repair job, but doing some preventative maintenance is going to save your ass in the long run. And preventative maintenance is something as simple as um, making sure that your locks and hinges are lubricated a couple of times a year. Um, anybody that's got WD-40 in your toolkit, please go and throw it out. Um, it did great as a. It did great when we didn't have anything better. But anything silicone based, um, not a not an endorsement in any way. But my personal preference for uh, lubricant is the three in one brand. I keep uh, the the spray lithium grease and the spray silicone, uh, and you can do just about anything with that. Um, anything that's wood on wood, right? If you've got if you've got old wooden drawers, for example, that uh, in your in your kitchen, rub um, rub a candle on it. Right, get the wax, and that's going to help. That's going to help keep it gliding, and it's going to stop it from binding up. Anything that slides, anything that uh, anything that slides, right? Your drawer slides, whatever, uh, gets lithium grease. Anything that turns gets silicone uh, a couple of times a year. That's going to go a long way to preventing problems. That's my well, that's my rant on lubrication. There's an anal be joke in there too somewhere, but whatever. Yeah. Well, you're not here. <laughs> um, I think in general, knowing your equipment, be it your generator, your furnace, your boiler, whatever, if you have a better sense of your equipment, how it's supposed to run, 
even if you can't fix the problem, if you can talk to an expert and say, here's what's going on, you know, there's a problem with this component, it's going to speed up the process immeasurably. And maybe, you know, if, if you can say, yep, there's a problem with this valve, uh, and they're going to say, oh, that's an easy fix for me. I can come out for, you know, a mere $500 and get that knocked out of the park. At least you can get it handled. So. Well, yeah, because especially if he knows he has three fluffer valves at, uh, at the, the store or whatever, it's, it's going to be an easier sales job to get him to come out, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway. And, I mean, the, the, and the other thing is, even if, even if it's come to a point where you've got to call somebody out, um, and I know lots of people who do work in that, they don't like people hanging around. Hang around, watch what they're doing, ask questions. If I'm um, paying you two hundred eighty dollars an hour, I'm going to learn everything I'm going to find. I'm going to learn everything I can from exactly. You know, I know, I know. You know, people they'll call somebody in and they'll sit upstairs, and that person will do the work downstairs, and they'll come up and say, "Yep, it's fixed," and they leave. And it's like, okay, well, what did they do? Well, I have no idea. He yeah, fixed the well, What more do I need to know? Yeah. Well, you're doing a yeah. disservice to yourself at the very least, right? So. Well, uh, when I have that, that expert in, I'm also going to quiz them. What are some things that I should be doing as a homeowner as that preventative maintenance to keep, you know, the boiler in my house going like the boiler is a single source heat for, for my house. I want to keep it happy and healthy. Uh, what can I do to further that goal? Yeah. Same idea when I had yeah. the uh, problem with my well, uh, the, uh, I guess the accumulator needed a certain pressure level to turn on and off the pump and, it wasn't listed anywhere of what I needed for PSI on everything. And so once I got an expert in to take a look at it, it was actually the island mentor. Anyway, he shows up and shows me how to do it. And so I actually ended up writing down the PSI where the pump should start and stop. And then, yeah. So next time I know exactly how to charge it up myself versus calling somebody else out. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry. I think it's Dan mentions, uh, we need backup heaters. Uh, I think I hit the wrong button there. There it is. Uh, backup electrical heaters for when the furnace goes down, it comes in handy. It saves me last year. I had the same problem with the, uh, boiler heat in my apartment in Vancouver there. No boiler, so we had no hot water, no heat, and uh, we ended up having to get a couple electric heaters for about two weeks. I actually had five. Like That was my that was my backup plan. Um, it wouldn't keep the house like hot, but it would keep everything from freezing. Um, I was able to get things back and running before it got like too crazy cold, but it was... Uh, yeah, got it done. That's a, that's a great point. If you if you can keep a heating problem from also becoming a pr- plumbing problem, that's a win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. there's one thing I hate more than heating problems is plumbing problems, and I really hate plumbing problems. Denny mentions that Dremel is a lifesaver as well. He says he can use it to sharpen chainsaws, which is actually a gutsy move when uh, the amount of material takes off uh, as a drill and other things. Gunsmithing for for real <laughs> experts Ooh. with the Dremel. Ouch. Ooh. Anyway, um, and shots are fired for Ian. Yep. Yeah, no, actually, I, instead of actually, I used to use a Dremel, and I did a horrible job with chainsaw chains, and actually then I'd be getting the specific file for the specific chain, and all of a sudden now life is beautiful, like it's just with it, it's manual, so there's no electricity required, uh, does a much better job, it burns out your chains slower than using a Dremel, and um, actually went the complete opposite direction on that, so and I'm much happier for it. Yeah, I've got a couple of Dremels, um, again, watch a Canadian Tire, they go on sale for about 15 bucks or 20 bucks. Um, a few times a year, it's worth it to buy because it's got all the all the little parts and kit with it, um, and they you know they don't last forever. And then I've also got a uh, the multi tool like the oscillating multi tool from Dremel, uh, and that's one of my favorite tools for 
for doing any kind of work, woodworking or installing locks or anything. And drywall so work with uh, the oscillating tools, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, we had a uh, celebrity used to pop in here for a second. Danob from Canadian Preppers Network um, says, awesome, you're still Whoa. on. Nice to see you, Danob. Uh, pop on anytime. We'd love to have you. It's a uh, long time, no, no talk for sure. So good to see you're still around and still in the preparedness stuff. I feel, yeah. I feel blessed. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I guess Denny says he his folks got the attachment for the chainsaw. I yeah, I had a, I used a protractor and everything else to keep the angles right. They still managed to screw it up. So, so anyway, uh, should we go to the podcast challenge? Well, it's probably a good idea to head out, get yourself three tools to help you get through a minor emergency versus calling the repair guy. Yes, a giant roll of duct tape counts. I think three tools is, a, is an easy goal to achieve for sure. Duct tape, roll of garbage bags, 50 feet of rope. Just don't buy them all at the same time. God, God, <laughs> okay, questions. Dexter. Yeah, especially if you get a shovel to go with it or something. <laughs> anyway, uh, upcoming events. Uh, I don't know if you're not on the Discord group, I guess it's hard to, to hear about it, but uh, New Shooter Canada, another podcast, put out a rec challenge for other uh, podcasters and listeners uh, to start doing basically a progressively higher. Um, weighted ruck march over the next uh, couple months, I think it is, where they want you to start off with uh, 25 pounds on your back and start doing 5K and work your way up. And they're trying to see who can uh, can walk hard. Walk hardest? I don't know how to describe that. Anyways, yeah, so if you're on the Discord group, we can talk about the uh, ruck challenge. I re- invite you all to take part in it. It's good for fitness. Wasn't that a John C. Riley movie? Walk hard, absolutely. The Dewey Cox story. Yeah. That's where yeah. I was going. But <clears throat> Anyway. Um, moving on to deal of the week. So a three pack of poly ammo boxes are 50% off at Cabela's. So they are, uh, day glow orange. They're like bright orange and you know, almost burn your eyes looking at them. But if you want to do a go bag for your radio, uh, hold ammo, heaven forbid, or other assorted bits, it is insanely cheap. I think it's twenty four ninety nine for three of them. So it's eight bucks a piece. Mm. I don't think you'll find that that cheap anywhere, but they're on sale till uh, February 9th. And I'm going to put that in the uh, chat here as well. And, uh, yeah, that's a good old Cabela's to the rescue again. Cabela's. Um, we actually got a, a, a review. We, we haven't had one of these in a while. Uh, we got an email from somebody. I don't know. H2O Rescue. H2O Rescue. There we go. H2O Rescue. If you're, if you're not a water rescue person, I'm really confused. It says, good evening, gentlemen. He obviously hasn't been listening for very long. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast for a while now and finally got around to emailing you. I've been a prepper since I was about eight or so, although I didn't know it as it as that then. I grew up in Northern California. We always had an earthquake preparedness kit. I joined Boy Scouts and really started living by the motto, be prepared. I joined the U.S. Coast Guard and became a helicopter rescue swimmer. You are now my new favorite person. I want to talk a whole lot more about that because that's really badass. Other than jumping out of helicopters, my job was to inspect, repair, and maintain all the life support and rescue gear. Also an EMT, as all rescue swimmers are, and I was one of the survival instructors in Alaska for their air crews. Over 21 years, I have since retired and now work as a at a firearm store and range as an instructor and range maintenance guy. Basically pays for my ammo habit. Love the podcast. It I think it's great, and it's that it's just about prepping and does not have any religious aspects of it to it. I'm not against that, but it's not my style. One of the hardest things I've had to work on is distinguishing between survival and prepping. I feel there's some points 
that work great for both, but the way I prepare for survival is being able to survive out of a small bag, not comfortable, but I'll live, while prepping is surviving comfortably with the boomsticks and hopefully a bunch of friends around. Thanks. Thank you for keeping up with the podcast. So H2O Rescue, first and foremost, rescue swimmers are the badassest of all the badasses in the world, and I don't care what you say about it. Um, second, a lot of people from Alaska lately have been emailing us, which I think is cool. Like, well, I think the last two or three, yeah, winters are long and they're getting bored. And um, uh, Third, yes, there's a big difference between a survival situation and being prepared for an emergency, right? Uh, an emergency or a disaster is something that is um, maybe has some notice or has some level of predictability, like a weather event or... Um, or such things. Sometimes there aren't any. There isn't any time to be to, to have an advance warning. Whereas survival is my truck broke down and I'm in Alaska and I'm three days from the nearest help and nobody knows I'm missing. Yeah, or even taking it down a notch further is like a survivor or a, a prepper has like a ten pack of Bic lighters just in case for various reasons. A survivalist drinks his own pee and uses the ferro rod and insists on using the ferro rod because that's what he's going to need to do. <laughs> but not yeah so so i guess it's situation dependent and and attitude dependent right yeah um and everybody has you know everybody has their own definitions and uh the important thing is that regardless of how you define it it's working for you so that you can yeah. uh you can get back to the things that you care about like boomsticks and ammo habits which you know is religion all to itself so um thank you very much for the uh for the email we do appreciate that i love reading uh love hearing from the from the listeners um feedback at prepperpodcast.ca uh or you can get us in the discord group the link to that is in the show notes yeah and and i and i like his uh his part there that it, it sometimes is a bit of a, a tough distinguish between the survival part and the prepping part but mm -hmm. uh like you say you know um i i guess if i if i look at it from a different way if you're prepared the chances of survival are very much better than surviving to be able to find something to survive with. So um, victory favors the prepared, plain and simple. Absolutely. Um, I think yep. it was less. Yep. I think it was less Stroud in one of his books. He said uh, the irony is that people who are who prepare for survival rarely find themselves in survival situations. True. Yep. Because they don't allow them to get that, that situation. They don't, it, they don't allow it to become a survival situation. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, going back to when we were talking about burnout and all the stuff you were going through, Ian, with uh, floods and fuel shortages and whatnot, and you barely even noticed. And, you know, it's almost disappointing. You're sort of hoping for more disaster, but it's just a minor inconvenience that you don't even have to worry about. So I really I do like uh, H2O Rescue's sort of definition between survivalism and just prepping because yeah let's be comfortable mm -hmm. agreed cool well with that note i guess i'll bring uh, episode 147 of the canadian prepper podcast to an end you can find the podcast on itunes podbean spotify or your favorite podcast app please help us out and submit a review it helps other people find us we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the show, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast. Click the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we are going live. If you want to reach me directly, you can get me at Alan, that's with one L, at prepperpodcast.ca. And you can reach me and Scott, us two old guys. Uh, we're not that technical. So just feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Sounds good. We have a fleet right. of carrier pigeons that will deliver your emails to them on, the, on their behalf. 
Yeah. I think they're just they're just opsec gods. That's all they are. They just they're post on my MySpace page or something. <laughs> I, I see Kimi. How I old are you? Old, I see really? you. Oh my goodness. I oh, you young whippersnappers. Tell you. Do you still use AOL? Just out of curiosity. That's why my dial up is so bad. <laughs> You've got mail. You have a personal right. modem, don't you? <laughs> Uh, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. You can also find me at Canadian Patriot Podcast, sometimes, it seems, uh, on iTunes and YouTube, recording Monday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. Most of us are on the Discord chat for both CPPs. Uh, email us if you want an invite to the Discord. It's actually a pretty fun group of guys and a lot of info shared and deals and everything else. It's actually been a pretty productive group there, for sure. It's the, um, new, it's the new CGN for Ian. It is. I'm not doing any deals on it, though, really, so trying anyway uh there you can find us discussing why government waste in society makes me avoid calling the repair guy at all costs thanks for joining us until next time be prepared stay safe and keep learning